Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. With us on Weekly Standard is Bill Crystal. And Bill, in honor of the New York Times, putting a front page uh, editorial up for the first time in more than 90 years. I thought we'd do a bonus Saturday podcast editorial from Bill Crystal, who you happen to be in Iowa, right? I am in Iowa, and you'd be glad to know I went down to the hotel lobby here at the Hilton Garden Inn this morning, and uh, there was a, there was no New York Times. A, that's, that's, <laughs> I, give them, I give them credit for that, but I had looked online, and obviously and I saw the front page editorial. The Des Moines Register out here in real America, on the other hand, the entire front page is devoted, of course, to the Iowa-Michigan State game tonight for the Big Ten mm-hmm. Championship and Iowa's chance for the first time in ages uh, to be a contender for the national championship. So they've, they've got their priorities right out here in Iowa. Well, you know, that's interesting. I think they really do, in a political sense, have their priorities right. I You just wonder if the editorial writers for the New York Times realize how much distance is between themselves. They called for gun confiscation, an open call for it. Not You know, got to give them credit for that. Uh, in the United States, where I'm betting maybe 15%, 20% of the population might support something like that, and it's right on the front page of their paper. And the, and the sort of pompous and self-important way they announced the front page editorial, they haven't done one since 1920. I mean, <laughs> they didn't realize how self- – they should have just said, here's a front page editorial in the New York Times. They don't have to say anything, right? They're a newspaper. They could just put it out the newspaper. People would have noticed it, obviously. It would have been discussed online and on TV shows and on Twitter and everything and by us. And instead, they have a pompous press release, the first front page editorial by the New York Times since 1920. And then they even stupidly mentioned what the topic of that was, which was outrage at the nomination of Warren G. Harding as the Republican <laughs> as the Republican presidential nominee. It's like, it, it lends itself, to say it lends itself to parody is such an understatement. I mean, it is a self-parody. It, it certainly is. Uh, and uh, I loved uh, the uh, comment from our fellow uh, friend, John Podoritz, who said, oh, the New York Times ran uh, 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 editorial content on the front page, you know, just like yesterday. Yeah, right. And that's what they do. But I want to talk. And of course, the Harding the Harding editorial worked great. Harding got sixty percent of the vote that <laughs> that year. This is after the Times had endorsed uh, my colleague Phil Terzian pointed this out to me. Uh, Woodrow Wilson in nineteen twelve and nineteen sixteen, who they now believe was such a notorious and horrible bigot and right. uh, racially prejudiced that he needs to be his name needs to be removed from. Uh, the you know the the School of Public Affairs at Princeton. So the lack of self awareness of, of of New York Times, I guess, of today's progressives, the kind of unbelievable confidence in in their own self righteousness, and and really, I would say, lack of concern as to whether anything they propose would work. I mean, you were you, you I think you, I was very struck by this in the editorial. They don't actually even argue that like this is how much gun crime would or, or, or gun deaths would go down, right. or we have data and studies that show this particular reform might work. And instead, they've got the massive facts staring at them. The gun ownership in this country has gone up quite a lot in the last 20 years. And gun deaths, especially gun murders, have gone down by a lot. So it's not obvious that the problem is the availability of guns. And they, but they just, that's, of course, not acknowledged in their editorial. And the same is true of the push now to have people who are on the no-fly list automatically banned from being able to pass a federal background check. Uh, two things, Stephen Hayes would lose his Second Amendment right. rights because, as you know, that notorious terrorist that you've hired at the Weekly Standard Bill was on the no-fly list for a while. But number two, the terrorists who actually killed people using guns that they bought in the uh, you know lockdown state of California, already a tough place to buy guns, both were able to fly 
back and forth between the Middle East and the United States. So it literally would not have solved any of the problems that they're writing about, and yet they're they're uh, 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 screaming at the NRA that they're pro-murder because they dare to oppose simply putting everybody on the no-fly list automatically on the uh, no-pass-the-gun test list. No, it's amazing. I mean, the no-fly list really is a, is a watch list that the, the, the government assembles with all kinds of mistakes in it. It doesn't have any legal status. There's no constitutional protection, obviously, no no legal, no administrative process even. And then, of course, when Steve Hayes shows up on it, he says, hey, wait a second, this must be some terrible mistake. And they go into a room somewhere and they look up his records and he explains why he once flew to Turkey and didn't have a return ticket. That was actually the reason, I think, that mm-hmm. that, uh, that he was on the list. And then they took him off. Well, fine. So that's, I mean, it's an administrative inconvenience. Maybe they should have the list the way they do. Maybe they shouldn't. But the idea that you're going to start monkeying with people's basic constitutional rights because they're on an administrative list that has no legal process at all is pretty astonishing. But once again, on top of that, this notion that you must be some kind of crazed pro-death, you know, uh, I like random shootings guy to oppose a pretty dumb idea that everyone agrees has no impact on the problem. Why, except... I can't say that because, once again, the East and West Coast elites, they think this is the conversation. They think this is the real debate over terrorism is actually a debate over restricting the Second Amendment and confiscating guns. You're in Iowa, the heart of America, Bill. The people you talk to there, the people think about voting Republican primary, do they feel the same way? I mean, I was out this morning with a bunch of politicos, and then a few people recognized me at the breakfast place we were at, and so I chatted with some Iowans, too. Um, I do think the outrage over... Uh, terrorism itself and the politically correct response by the Obama administration to terrorism struck me. People raised it. Now they know I'm a conservative and all that, so maybe they're, you know, the people come over to talk to me aren't maybe exactly the, uh, a random sample, but the outrage over the Attorney General's comments that she, the thing she fears the most is a wave of uh, Islamophobia and they're going to be closely monitoring people's speech that might be an incitement to anti-Islam violence. Really, maybe they should, the Justice Department of the United States should be closely monitoring people who are coming into this country to um, to to uh, and then engaging in the mass murder of Americans, you know, and uh, so I, I think the outrage is real. Um, I think it makes it puts the terrorism issue front and center. I suppose it dovetails a little bit with Donald Trump's attacks on political correctness, because after all, that's what we're seeing at sort of a massive scale. It's gone from the universities to the government, and it's gone to every level of the government, and it's affecting real policy. I mean, that's what's dangerous about it. It's one thing if people say stupid things. It's another thing if we don't pursue certain policies, we don't do, you know, in in terms of visa waivers and everything else that we could be pursuing. So, um, yeah, no, people are outraged, I think. In terms of the Republican primary, I, I actually sort of feel like what people, I mean, I don't have anything contrary to the pretty uh, normal, I guess, perceptions of people. I do think Carson is fading with foreign policy front and center. Everyone thinks Ted Cruz is well-organized and is an obvious candidate to capture the conservative vote. Um, people are a little skeptical about Trump. I guess I would say that, that, I mean, people, maybe the people I'm hanging out with aren't the average Trump supporters, but there's a little sense that there's an awful lot of uh, people who like saying they're for Trump, like shocking their the the, post, right. the guy calling them on the phone. They they like you know, what he's they find him entertaining. A little different two months from now, going to the caucus and voting for him. Uh, so I think there's a little bit of discounting of uh, maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong, but of Trump and the people I've talked to from the people I've talked to around here. And and I think a lot of uh, sense among the non-Cruz, non-Trump types that Rub- there is a consolidation towards Rubio. I do think that's happening. Um, you mentioned the uh, political correct issue. I was fascinated by how Trump's number on who's best to handle ISIS in the latest poll 
uh, I want to say it was a Quinnipiac poll, was just through the roof. I mean, no one was even close to him. And that's the question I have is if you're a typical Iowan and you're thinking about America's strength, you're thinking about our security, is it finally Trump is a guy who's not going to pussyfoot around? He's going to say straight up, yes, I know who the bad guys are and I want to kill them, which is refreshing compared to the current administration. Or are you going to think, wow, this world is a truly dangerous place. The danger can reach San Bernardino and Chattanooga, Tennessee and Paris. Uh, maybe we need to get someone who's more serious. Which trend, do, you, do you get a sense at all of, of one of those trends dominating the other? Because right now it looks like the first trend is way ahead of the second. I think the first is ahead of the second. I think the second could catch up over the next six weeks. That's usually what happens as you get closer to a caucus or to a primary. There's a certain kind of default to a little, you know, away from the, the risky, fun choice towards the more sober choice. I think it's, I think Marco Rubio and Chris Christie have a big chance here to say, look, I agree. I might even want to say it this way. I, Donald Trump's been saying some useful things, and I hate it when the Attorney General of the United States says what she's just said. But let me say that as Rubio would say, as Senator, I fought the effort to strip back the ability to now investigate the phone records of, of, of this couple in, in California, uh, uh, the murderers. Um, and I, you know, I was in the minority, unfortunately. But Obama, and he can say, put it this way, Barack Obama and Ted Cruz worked together to reduce uh, the, the, the potency of the NSA program. I mean, again, leaving uh, Cruz will have a, have a response to that. Right. That'll be an interesting debate, actually, over the next a few days. Pretty substantive public policy debate. Christie, I think, could also say. Hey, I was a prosecutor. I know a lot about this, and I'm tough on this. So I think it'll be interesting to see how much Christie and Rubio step up. If I were their advisors, I'd be, you know, changing their stump speeches, uh, urging them to do so. I wouldn't. I'd say this is not the time for the business as usual kind of. Hey, I'm a good guy, and I want, you know, I want tax cuts, and I want everyone to get ahead in America. This needs to be. They need to. This is the time where they can steal some of Trump's thunder, be the more serious policy version of a uh, mood that Trump is, has tapped into. I, you know, I, the question is, though, who has the temperament to capture that mood? I mean, when you're this kind of sunny, smiling Marco Rubio, do you have the temperament? I have to say I have some uh, family members who are Northeasterners and they're you know, socially liberal, but they tend to vote Republican because of security and economic reasons. And they, John, uh, uh, Ted Cruz, normally they're like, oh, I would never vote for a Ted Cruz. But lately they've been coming back and asking me, now tell me more about this Ted Cruz guy. You're telling me he went to Harvard? You know, uh, Alan Dershowitz likes him? Okay, maybe, maybe I'll look at, at him again. Maybe the dour kind of, you know, uh, you know, the guy with the hood and the uh, sickle who shows up at the door. Uh, Ted Cruz is, is a better match for the Republican mood at the moment. No, I agree with that. Uh, I mean, I think he could be. And I, I've, I've often, I personally also wanted to people who were for Rubio, still are kind of for Rubio, mm-hmm. but a little questioning, is he too, too, too nice a guy? And, and maybe either Christie with his experience or Cruz with just what people have a sense of just toughness. Mm-hmm. Um would be more appropriate. I mean, this is why it will be a very interesting race for the next six, seven weeks. I, I think they'll test the candidates' ability to, to sort of adjust to circumstances. And I think we'll have a pretty good substantive po- debate on foreign policy issues uh, in terms of Syria, on some of the uh, national security, uh, NSA-type uh, issues, uh, as well as a bunch of others. And, you know, maybe Trump will, incidentally, you know, all these three will argue with each other, Roosh, uh, Rubio, Cruz, and Christie, and Trump will just sail above them all and <laughs> continue to be at, at 25 or 30 or 35 percent. But I, I, I'm still holding to the view that he, he, he at least uh, is topped out if he, if he doesn't fade much. And I do think Ben Carson, who everyone admires personally, who has a heck of a grassroots uh, uh, following out here, 
and I'm not sure, maybe, I mean, I tend to think that that also diminishes as we, as we have a commander-in-chief election rather than a sort of uh, what human being do you admire the most in the race mm-hmm. type election. Uh, I tend to think Carson fades some, but, but, you know, we could go back by February 1st to a situation where people just say, God, I really admire Ben Carson, and I really identify with him when he speaks, and I'm, I'm going to stick with him. So I think it's a very fluid moment. I think most of the polls... Most of the surveys show, what, 60, 65% of the voters saying they could change their mind. I really take that seriously in this circumstance with everything going on in the world and with an interesting and unusual Republican primary field. It's not your typical establishment candidate, Mitt Romney, a couple of you know conservative insurgents who aren't quite you know really plausible at the end, probably. This is such an unusual field that I think we could end up with a result that looks very different from the polling today. Will you keep trashing Trump? And once the great Trump revolution begins and he's in the White House, I'm turning you in first, Bill. Just You'll so have you know. me on an occasional guest. I'll be calling from a, yeah, from a, from a, secret, from a secret hiding Deep place beneath somewhere. Trump Tower. There you'll go there with all of his enemies. <laughs> Thanks so much, Bill, for uh, joining us from On the Road for this front page editorial special Saturday edition of the Weekly Standard Podcast. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. I'm your host, Michael Graham.